It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Well, I've been a little bit busy as we close out the year and prepare to say Happy New Year. Last night I was on the special report panel with Brett Baer. Uh, today I'm finishing up a tape piece about the media coverage of 2021. It's a pretty long piece by television standards, but still there's so much I couldn't get in. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, also working on Media Buzz. It may be New Year's weekend, but we'll be on the air live 11 Eastern on Fox. And I'm on the Fox News Sunday panel this coming Sunday. And in addition to that, I'm the backup anchor. Now, what that means is with so many people now, again, not just at Fox, but at all the networks, uh, doing things from remote studios, from vans, from their home studios, just in case um, somebody's satellite goes down or the connection is lost or the Wi-Fi craps out or whatever, I would take over and host the rest of the show. It's unlikely that it would happen, but it has happened. It happened to me a couple of times when I was broadcasting from home, from my basement to be precise. Fortunately, in those instances, I was able to come back within 60 or 90 seconds. One time it was during commercial, so nobody noticed. But it's a bit of a crapshoot, and I hope we're not in that situation for too long. Now, speaking of 2021, uh, you know, I think the general global consensus here is good riddance. Let's move on. Uh, It was a terrible year in many, many ways. A few good things happened. Uh, But I think we have hopes that 2022 will be a little bit better. So some of the things I didn't uh, have space to get into, I was just sort of thinking back big and small. 2021 was the year of free Britney Spears, right? Britney, the hashtag. Uh, actually was able to use the media to get free of her conservatorship and her, um, what's the right uh, word to describe her father? His onerous uh, oversight of her most personal affairs. It was a big year for space exploration. Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos and also Captain Kirk going out into lower space orbit. I covered one of those live, the Branson, the first Branson flight, just because the landing happened to uh, unfold during my hour of media buzz. Uh, there were also so many mistakes that you just forget. Remember when everybody was jumping on some ambiguous photos about the problems at the border and it was reported that Border Patrol agents on horseback were whipping migrants, and it turned out not to be true at all. Uh, also, the discredited steel dossier, and with the exception, notable exception of the Washington Post, most organizations either ignoring uh, further evidence of what a piece of crap that was, uh, or you know, doing these think pieces about it that didn't really confront their own role in it. And of course, uh, the passing of people, including um, Rush Limbaugh, uh, whether you like Rush or didn't like Rush, he was a giant of broadcasting who changed uh, the face of talk radio. And just in the last week, uh, John Madden, you know, the New York Times put the death of John Madden, legendary Super Bowl winning coach and NFL broadcaster, four different networks. On page one, Harry Reid, who also passed, the longtime Senate majority leader, was on page 18. And some people are like, well, how could that possibly be true? And I think in terms of public interest and public persona, that was the right call. All right, a few items here before we get into the main portion of the menu, a few uh, appetizers, so to speak. Uh, Alex Jones the other day, the uh, radio host, InfoWars conspiracy theorist guy, 
went on his show and he said he was going to dish all the dirt on Donald Trump. So what's happening here is Donald Trump does that appearance with O'Reilly and says, you know, I got the booster and then later does an interview with the Daily Wire and says, yeah, the vaccines are, are safe and effective. People should go out and get them. And the people who are even more out there uh, as anti-vaxxers or vaccine skeptics, whatever you want to call them, feeling let down by this. And so uh, Jones telling his listeners, uh, you know, we all wish Trump would do the right thing. Um, In fact, maybe, you know what, to get Trump's attention, maybe I should just dish all the dirt. I'm going to dish it all on Trump next hour. It's not to hurt Trump. It's so people can know how pathetic he is when you think he is playing 4D chess, going to save you, and he's not. Well, Alex Jones didn't say anything. He didn't dish any dirt. I don't know that he has any dirt to dish. But it's just interesting that some of the really hardliners when it comes to both conspiracy theories and COVID vaccines are now turning on Donald Trump for taking the entirely rational position that, you know, he's the president who uh, was able to push Pfizer and Moderna and J&J with a lot of government funding into bringing these vaccines to market. And now it's somehow heresy to say, hey, it'd be a good thing if you went and got a shot. Remember Keith Oberman? He was a very, very big deal on MSNBC in prime time. This is well over a decade ago. Uh, it's kind of faded now. I mean, he lost his show. He was always fighting with management. Then he went, he had several turns at ESPN. And now he's just a really angry guy on Twitter. And here's an example. You know, I sometimes joke about, you know, if I write something personal about, uh, you know, family or something, and people are going to attack me because that's what people do on Twitter. So Mitt Romney, and, you know, whether you like Mitt Romney as a senator, you know, people who like Trump don't like Mitt Romney very much right now, but they liked him very much when he was the 2020, 2012, excuse me, GOP presidential nominee. He posted a nice Christmas picture with his wife, Anne. He has five sons and 25 grandchildren. He's a Mormon. Mormons have big families. Nice holiday card, okay? Keith Oldman retweets the Romney family photo, and here's his reaction. Somebody gift these people some vasectomies. So Oldman got absolutely denounced for this, you know, odious comment on the Twitter uh, you know, what is, you know what, Romney wasn't doing or saying anything controversial. He's like, he has my nice family. And he does have a nice family. And oh, so what's he saying? Oh, they have too many kids. I don't like him because he's a Republican and they should just stop having so many children. Where the hell does he get off? All right, now that I've gotten that out of the way, here's a funny little item. Uh, this is according to the NBC station in New York. The IRS apparently has... Some guidance, you know, this is the kind of time of year where you start gathering up your yearly, you know, income statements and deductions and so forth for tax purposes. According to a certain IRS publication, uh, the IRS wants you, the taxpayer, to include on your forms income from illegal activities, such as money from dealing illegal drugs. Put that on your Schedule 1, Form 1040, Line 8Z, or on Schedule C, Form 1040, uh, for your self-employment a- a- activity. If you steal property, says the Internal Revenue Service, you must report its fair market value, but only if you don't return it to its rightful owner in the same year. So anybody out there who's committing a crime, just make sure to declare it to the IRS. I'm sure that will work out really well for you. All right, story number one. Uh, Really, the only story right now is the Omicron surge and COVID. And you know, 
back when I was, a couple of weeks ago, when I was looking at the numbers and said, hey, the number of average daily cases went up from 120,000 to 140,000. I mean, that seems like nothing. Yesterday, for the second straight day, the U.S. of A. shattered the record that had been set just one day before. 580,000 new cases in the United States. The previous day, it had been 488,000, and that was a head-slapping moment. So you can see the speed with which Omicron is uh, making its way through the population. Um, It is just amazing to watch. And now more and more, I know people who have gotten it, or I know people who say they have friends who have gotten it, Uh, And these are people who are fully vaccinated. They got their booster shot. It seems pretty resistant to the vaccinations and the booster shot. The good news, of course, is that Omicron seems to be a relatively mild version of COVID-19. 62% of Americans are now fully vaccinated. Almost three quarters have gotten at least one dose. And then of the ones who were fully vaccinated, 68 million have gotten a third dose, meaning they got the booster shot. I don't quite get, if you believe in the vaccine enough to get one shot, you're in that gap, why would you not go back and get a second vaccination and be more fully protected? Remember, if you do get uh, Omicron or some variant and you're vaccinated, your chances are minuscule of having serious disease or going to the hospital. Uh, So the good news here is even with this, you know, head-slapping number, and who knows whether it's over. I mean, it's expected to peak sometime in January uh, and hopefully starts to come down as rapidly as it went up. But even with these uh, stunning numbers of new cases, hospitalizations and deaths, very different story. In the past two weeks, uh, deaths from COVID-19 are down by 5%. The LA average is about 1,200. Hospitalizations are up by just 15%. Unfortunately, even that 15% increase um, can overwhelm local hospital systems because it's not like hotels where they have a lot of excess capacity waiting for the tourist season to kick in. You know, hospitals aren't in the business of carrying a lot of empty ICU beds. But the fact, and look, I know that deaths can be a lagging indicator after a surge in new cases, but the fact that the number of cases is soaring and deaths, at least in this snapshot, have actually declined is actually very good news. Not that anybody wants to get it. It is not fun. Uh, as many, many people have told all of us. And, you know, I talked about this a little bit on Special Report last night. Um, We're in kind of this reverse shutdown, this bottom-up shutdown. Uh, It's driven by the surge in infected workers rather than these top-down government edicts. You don't see President Biden or governors or mayors saying, we have to close this, we have to close that. Schools are generally remaining open. Now, individual school systems are deciding, uh, and many colleges are deciding to go virtual for January or delaying the physical reopening because a lot of people coming back from Christmas, New Year's break, you know, may have been exposed uh, to COVID-19. And, and this is why I'm critical of the CDC and particularly Rochelle Walensky for not being candid about it. Oh, you know, we've looked at it and you're only 10 to 15% likely to be contagious after five days. So that's why we cut in half the uh, recommended quarantine period. That's not the reason. It's not about the science. It's about keeping businesses open. It's about keeping airplanes in the sky. It's about keeping transit systems uh, running. How many stores have I either walked by or see a big sign 
saying help wanted, or I've seen stores that have closed, even a Starbucks, because they couldn't get the staff to open. It's a big problem. And the more that that's replicated, uh, the more it hurts the economy. Um, so that's where we are right now. And then there's this other issue I mentioned briefly uh, to Brett Baer and that I talked about in the podcast yesterday. You see, you always get it before I have a chance to go on TV and share it uh, with that audience, which is with all the new at-home tests, even though there's a severe, really unconscionable shortage. What a major, major miscalculation by the Biden administration, people waiting hours to get a test. Um, but authorities now say they can't count all the tests. They don't know how many people are testing positive. So the numbers that I'm seeing, when I say to you, you know, it's now, what, uh, 580,000 plus new cases. That's probably an undercount because we don't know how many more people have tested positive with these home tests. And yet, you know, the government, the local government isn't notified. That can't be um, part of the total. Meanwhile, one glimmer of good news, the FDA, which always takes too long, in my view, on these things, uh, is planning, this hasn't gotten the official approval yet, to broaden the eligibility for vaccine boosters uh, to allow 12 to 15-year-olds to receive the Pfizer uh, booster, according to sources. And um, you could get it after five months rather than waiting six months. And a booster shot will be authorized for children 5 to 11 if they have certain uh, pre-existing conditions or immune disease problems. Now, once the FDA cleared boosters for everybody, first it was just over 18. Why not 16? Why not 17? I don't know. That came later. Now 12 to 15. I understand you got to be cautious with younger people, but I just think this is a very slow-moving bureaucracy. All right, number two. Another topic on Special Report last night was the call between President Biden and President Putin uh, over the situation in Ukraine. And here's what we know, according to a New York Times write-up. Putin warned Biden, the call lasted about 50 minutes, that if Biden carried out his threat to impose new economic sanctions on Russia, if it moves to take military action against Ukraine, remember, the Kremlin has 100,000 military troops amassed along the Ukraine border. That, according to a Russian official talking to reporters, could result in a complete rupture of relations between these two nuclear superpowers. That's according to the Russian readout. Uh, The call didn't seem to resolve anything. There's going to be more talks uh, early next month. Um, And, you know, Biden, according to Jen Psaki, in a statement that she issued, you know, pushed back and said that the U.S. and its allies will respond decisively if Russia, and this is an interesting word, further invades Ukraine. Because you have to remember that Putin absolutely can't be trusted, uh, that he bit off a piece of Ukraine back in 2014, seven years ago, with the invasion of Crimea. So it's kind of um, a game of chess right now. Putin has certain security guarantees he wants, including no NATO membership for Ukraine. That isn't on the table right now anyway. Uh, There are certain weapons that he regards as offensive weapons that are close to the Russian border. uh, His position is the U.S. would react the same way if offensive weapons were near to our borders. And so it is a little bit of a game of geopolitical chicken in that Biden is saying, if you invade, we're going to do all these terrible things. And the sanctions they're talking about, you know, would really damage 
uh, Moscow's already weakened economy. And Putin is saying, well, we're not going to invade, but if you do this or you do that, well, then we might. And so I think the fact that Putin asked for this call, which is very unusual for Vladimir Putin, and it's the second uh, Biden-Putin call in three weeks, the fact that he, the Russian leader, said, I want to talk, suggests to me that he's looking for a diplomatic off-ramp that he understands the costs, not just in terms of the international sanctions, but then what do you do once you have all those troops in Ukraine, uh, the cost of keeping them there, um, the cost, the, the possibility of a prolonged military conflict. I don't think Putin really wants to do this. What he wants to do is to pressure, I would say blackmail the U.S. into um, doing what he wants in the area of security guarantees without incurring the sanctions and without actually having to go through with an invasion. Um, but obviously, the situation remains pretty volatile. Publicly, the Kremlin says it wants compromise, but who really knows? And as long as we're talking about foreign affairs, you know, I'm sorry to report that a free press is now officially dead in Hong Kong, strangled by the Chinese authorities who once gave these false assurances that they would respect Hong Kong's independence. So uh, the Beijing-backed regime there had already killed off Apple Daily, which was an independent paper, and now it has done the same with Stand News, really the last remaining bastion of real journalism. And it's always the same MO, uh, making arrests of the top executives, bringing trumped-up charges of publishing seditious material, which is anything that the state says it is. Uh, any glimmer of independent journalism or glimmer of criticism of the Chinese regime. And this is really a reminder of what the totalitarian Chinese government, which is going to show or attempt to show a very different face to the world during February's Olympics, is really all about. Don't go anywhere. More Buzzmeter coming your way in just a moment. All right, story number three. The BBC has a mess on its hands following the Ghislaine Maxwell conviction of, on sex trafficking charges and helping uh, Jeffrey Epstein with his completely and totally heinous pedophilia and sexual abuse of young girls. And the reason is that, that when, the, when the conviction came in, when the jury's verdict came in, the BBC had on Alan Dershowitz, obviously a very prominent lawyer, has been on my show, and a million other shows. But the, the, the problem for the BBC is that when Dershowitz came on, he was just introduced as a constitutional lawyer, not somebody who was, one, at one time represented Alan Dershowitz, two, has been accused by one of Epstein's victims, Virginia Joffrey, has accused Dershowitz of sexually abusing her back when he was Epstein's lawyer. Now, Dershowitz has always vociferously and vehemently denied this. He's brought his own litigation. So here BBC News brings him on and there's no disclaimer, there's no, yeah, we're going to hear from Dershowitz who, you know, is kind of tied up in this thing. That's not making any judgment on my part whether the allegations that have been made against Alan Dershowitz have any validity or not. Now, to his credit, he goes on the BBC and he doesn't hide this, he talks about it. Dershowitz uh, attacked Virginia Jeffrey for the credibility of her accusations against him and against Prince Andrew. And he said, look, he also went on Fox, by the way. He went on Fox News. He talked to Pete Hegseth. 
But Fox said, you know, he has somebody who has ties to people in the case. And here's what he said on Fox. Um, look, the government decided not to call Virginia as a witness in the Maxwell trial. She would have been the key witness if she were credible, but the government simply didn't believe her, Dershowitz said. So today was a good day for those people who were accused by her. Um, the BBC now puts out this statement saying, last night's interview with Alan Dershowitz after the Ghislaine Maxwell verdict did not meet the BBC's editorial standards, as Mr. Dershowitz was not a suitable person to interview as an impartial analyst. Duh! Of course not. You can bring him on and say that he's got ties to the case, that he faces his own accusations, and here's his point of view. And we did not make the relevant background clear to our audience, says the BBC. We will look into how this happened. Now here's a statement from Dershowitz. I made full disclosure of Virginia Joffrey's false accusation against me before expressing my opinion about the prosecution's wise decision not to vouch for her credibility by using her as a witness in the Maxwell case. The media has repeatedly interviewed alleged victims of Epstein and Maxwell regarding the Maxwell case. It is entirely appropriate, says Dershowitz, for the media to interview a victim of Joffrey's perjury as long as there is full disclosure and no one is misled. And look, to his credit, he not only made full disclosure, he talked about it in both the BBC and the Fox interviews. But the BBC blew it. There's just simply no question about it. Probably some young booker who didn't know the background. Oh, let's get Alan Dershowitz on the phone. He's pretty famous um, without the proper vetting. And that is a complete journalistic failure, and the BBC was right to issue that apology. And I wonder whether the Beeb will take any further steps. Let's get to story number four. This is a creepy story. There's my um, disclaimer. And it reminds me of another creepy story, both of which involve CNN. So CNN producer, a guy named Rick Salibi, has resigned following allegations, no charges here, allegations against him. And a spokesman for the network said in a statement to The Wrap, Rick Salibi does not work for CNN. He resigned from his position more than two weeks ago. Now, why is that? This also has to do with sexual misconduct. I should say, in this case, alleged sexual misconduct because no formal charges have been brought. But Fairfax County Police, that's Fairfax County, Virginia, across the river from D.C., told Fox News that they are investigating, quote, serious allegations involving potential juvenile victims. And that, quote, detectives assigned to the Child Exploitation Squad of the Major Crimes Bureau are leading this investigation. So what's the backdrop here? Project Veritas, that's James O'Keefe's outfit, um, made the allegation about two weeks ago that this guy, Salibi, who was a senior producer on Jake Tapper's show, The Lead, had, uh, uh, had solicited sexual photos of his fiancé's 15-year-old daughter. Uh, quote, according to Project Veritas, the messages and videos were obtained by a woman who engaged in a sexual relationship with the producer in question for a decade. So Project Veritas gets this information, uh, Salibi is under investigation. He has now left CNN. And the reason this is sort of a double dose of creepiness, 
is that just a couple of weeks ago, there was another CNN producer named John Griffin. This is a guy who worked for both Chris Cuomo and John Avalon at various times. And he left the network, or the network fired him, uh, because he has been charged with seeking to induce minors to engage in unlawful sexual activity. And this, you may recall, had to do with him offering a substantial sum of money to the mother of one of these girls. I mean, the whole thing is just so revolting. Now, I'm not going to say, well, gee, how can CNN employ these people? There's no indication CNN knew about any of this. CNN seems to have separated itself rather quickly from both people. Um, there's no indication, as far as we know now, that the work they did for the network was in any way involved, that they were using the name of CNN. Um, but let's just say to have two relatively high-level producers uh, have to resign or be pushed out of these kinds of allegations is not a pleasant episode for any news organization. Don't go anywhere. More Buzzmeter coming your way in just a moment. And finally, number five. Um, this is one of those New York Times trend stories that as soon as I saw the headline, I said, oh, come on, is this really happening? You know, it's, it's often a thing where it becomes trendy among a very, very small set in a very, very uh, small section of Manhattan or, you know, in the elite world or the fashion world, the entertainment world. And it's like, hey, everybody's doing it. So here's the headline in the August New York Times. Why is everyone going brunette? Apparently blonde is out in the last few months says this New York Times investigation. Haley Bieber, Billie Eilish, Florence Pugh, Dove Cameron, and Gigi Hadid, among other celebs, I know several of those people, but not all, have taken their remains deeper and darker. On TikTok, blonde hair was declared Chugi, C-H-E-U-G-Y. That's what Gen Z says. I'm not Gen Z or Gen X, so I have no idea what that means. Uh, slews of us are yielding to an urge to go brunette. Well, you know, just the fact that a few celebs have done it doesn't really mean that vast numbers of women are doing this, except, of course, that's how you make it a trend story. All right, more from this uh, breaking news development. The news spent on darker, more lustrous hair appears to be spurred in some part by the craving for change that came in the way of the pandemic. Aha, there's a COVID-19 angle. When many people got to embrace their natural color, in a good way. Well, I can understand that because, you know, if you don't have a chance, everybody's locked down, you don't have a chance to go to the salon uh, to get your color updated, then you would probably revert to your natural color. And most people have brown hair. I mean, it's a very small fraction of the population that is naturally blonde or naturally redhead. But uh, it's funny the way they try to talk this up as being some great, like, brilliant, never before dreamed of thing. Um, a colorist at uh, one uh, salon on the Upper East Side, naturally. There's definitely been a change of attitude, she says. I see clients transition to darker, more luxurious hues. Brunette shades tend to create a more mysterious vibe. Really? So total transformations by blondes have been extremely trendy, this woman says. It's similar to trying on another personality. There is comfort, the New York Times assures us, in transitioning to warming, feel-good colors. 
Now, the reason that brunette may be in is that Gen Z is prioritizing hair health. And so another salon person is saying they're more aware of their health and being healthy. Um, being behind the chair every day in my salons, I'm listening to my clients, and they feel like brunette gives them more power and strength. Wow, I didn't know this was such a huge deal. Uh, this is interesting. The brunette shades of 2022 are richer, fuller, and more complex than in years past. When, you know, if you had brown hair, you had brown hair, and it just wasn't that big a deal. Uh, one guy uh, is quoted here is saying that he's working with shades like Soft Sable, Violet Brunette, Chocolate Milk, and Pumpkin Spice. Um, he's been experimenting with uh, shades that rival milk chocolate, Coca-Cola, Chestnut, Dark Chocolate, one that's even almost black. Well, if your hair's almost black, why do you need to get it colored? Uh, and brown hair takes the least amount of maintenance. This may be what it's really about. Uh, because you don't need the root touch-ups and all of that. All right. Uh, I've shared all this with you in the interest of uh, taking an in-depth look at journalism at the end of 2021. And, you know, you find a few salon owners and a few celebs, and wow, it must be a trend. How many women do you think are actually marching into their salons and saying, I demand to go brunette? I don't know. I bet it's not a massive number, but it made for... Look, it got my attention, and therefore the New York Times can claim to be a trendsetter. Whether that's true or not is a whole different story. So this is the last podcast of 2021. Uh, we will be back here in the new year with the 2022 edition. Um, look, it's been a rough year for the country, for the world, in many ways. I hope uh, there have been good aspects of it for you that you've managed to stay safe, that you've managed to uh, work or take care of your family or whatever it is that you do. Always appreciate your tuning in to what we try to do here. More time, different, uh, an effort to talk about everything from the deadly serious COVID-19 or Russian troops on Ukraine to how many people are going brunette and lots of other stuff. Um, you know, uh, we'll see whether 2022 is a year when Joe Biden can restart and recharge his presidency. Uh, it started pretty well the end of last year, this year, I should say, and ended not so well. If you measure by public opinion polls, if you measure by the COVID surge, if you measure by public confidence. Um, but a month is a lifetime in politics. So we'll see what happens there. In any event... Have a great New Year's weekend. Happy New Year to everybody out there. And we'll see you next year with more BuzzBeat. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.